Section 13 of On Being Negro in America by J. Saunders Redding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 13. I am well aware that there is supposed to be something reprehensible in advocating marriage between races. Enough were I a faculty member in a public supported college in the South to bring about my dismissal for advocacy of it. In some metaphysical corner of the white man's mind, intermarriage is identified with immorality, biological peculiarity, and perversion. This identification is partly a matter of conscience, and as Gunnar Myrdal exhaustively explains, partly a matter of jealousy. The unrestricted use of the Negro woman as sexmate and mammy during slavery did a strange thing to the white man's mind. It filled it with anxiety, guilt, and a grotesque exaggeration of the Negro male's sexual equipment, an equipment from which the white male has felt compelled to protect white womanhood ever since. In Meredale's words, the necessity to protect the white female against this fancied prowess of the male Negro is a fixed constellation in the ethos of America. The common belief runs that the white girl who marries a negro is morally depraved and certainly sexually abnormal, for no normal white girl could possibly enjoy the average negro's savage sexual potency. As for the white man who marries a negro woman, he will soon tire of her extraordinary sensuality and return to the safer, saner sex practices of his own kind. Such assertions made by the majority race with all the blatant insistence of an uneasy conscience have conditioned the Negro sufficiently to prevent his speaking out in favor of intermarriage, but no one has bothered to validate the declarations of sexual incompatibility between the races with scientific investigations. No one, so far as I know, has made a study, for instance, of the comparative sexuality of the Negro-American and the white American, that such incompatibility exists between normal individuals of the two races, is an emotion-based assumption which finds sanction and support in statutes prohibiting intermarriage. Such statutes seem to me to be the most fundamental expression of the human inequality to which the Negro is subjected. They strike at the deepest roots of personal dignity and self-respect, it is one thing, and a very good thing, to be acknowledged as a first-class citizen. It is another and a better thing to be acknowledged a first-class human being. This is the ultimate civility. But if the assumption of sexual incompatibility is based in emotion, the beliefs about miscegenation are founded on pure mythology. The myths about negro-white blood mixture are a curious interweaving of the biological, the moral, and the social. The myths are contradictory enough to be mutually exclusive, but emotionalism absorbs the contradictions. In the first place, quite contrary to all other blood group designations, in America anyone having a single drop of Negro blood is classed as a Negro, inasmuch as this practice was thought to place a restraint on interracial concubinage though during slavery its real purpose was to increase the number of human chattels, it once had a kind of left-handed moral sanction. Since that time it has become a national habit and is solidified by law in the southern states. It has engendered beliefs as irrational and as inexplicable as nightmares. 
white men have won libel suits for mistakenly being called negro yet there is a strong belief among the majority of whites that for the negro to have white blood is to adulterate his highest and best potentials but the matter is even crazier than that for another belief is simultaneously held only negroes with white blood begin to approach the white man's biological mental and moral standards at the same time that the rev thomas dixon jr was setting forth in his best-selling novel the leopard spots and his smash hit drama the clansman the proposition that the offspring of mixed parentage were degenerate crafty vicious and depraved the superior attainments of booker t washington were being accounted for by the fact that his father was white the kind gentle loyal negro mammies were always pure black but all the colored tarts that ever lured white men to lethean beds were high yeller the term half-white forever loosely used covers all degrees of blood mixture and all kinds of contrarieties if there were rationality in the matter then in keeping with the implication of the dominance of negro blood over white blood and the accepted definition of negro the term would be half black it makes no kind of sense that half white should mean an endowment of all the criminal tendencies and a prodigy like philippa schuyler whose mother is white and walter white who is more than a quarter white and the novelist frank yerby who is perhaps an eighth and ralph bunch who is a thirty-second it makes no kind of sense that an intelligent white woman on first seeing paul robeson whose reputation was international and then unsmirched should remark to her companion why i expected him to be black i thought you know if they had white blood they generally turned out badly if that were the case at least ten million of the fourteen million american negroes would be bad ones and if all those who have a drop of negro blood confessed to it there would be uncountable numbers more for the fact is that many miscegenates pass over into the white race every day a conservative estimate is that four million negroes with all their spermatozoa and ova genes and chromosomes have been absorbed into the white american bloodstream in the last two decades they have left scarcely a trace negroes throw up a protective wall of silence around individual passing thus it is well known among colored people that a certain famous moving picture star is the daughter of a negro woman the white but not the negro public was shocked four or five years ago when a prominent new york lawyer made a courtroom confession of his tarbrush parentage in order to clear himself for a share in a rich bequest many white people eminent in public life in industry in government and the arts are known by negroes to be negro and if there were truth in the myths passing would be all but impossible the black blood would tell in real life as it is so frequently made to do in fiction industrialists and other employers would detect it in absenteeism gold-bricking and general shiftlessness psychologists would spot it by behavior indexes unmodulated speech flashy clothes and other forms of exhibitionism physiologists would detect it in the shape and tincture of the fingernails and in the thickness of the skull anatomists would see it in the curious heel structure which was supposed to account for the speed of jesse owens ralph metcalf et al 
of the negro male and in the peculiar ovoid shape of the negro female's buttocks psychiatrists would mark it in overt aggressive tendencies or in other forms of emotional infantilism or in a total absence of emotional response and everyone would detect in it the rusty acrid unbearable odor that negroes give off end of section thirteen